Welcome back, everyone. The Better Than I Found It podcast. Mikael, per usual, sitting down with uh, Coach McGraw in person this week. We uh, have just spent eight days on the road. We're back in Waco. Uh, we did a recording with our guest, Will Salatoris, on the road, but we're uh, finally back in Waco. How does that feel, Coach? Well, it feels pretty good for a couple of reasons. One, it's always good to be back in Waco, but two, we we brought a trophy with us this time. We uh, we played really well at the Big 12 Match Play Championship in Houston Oaks, so that that was a great feeling. It's good to be back, but it's also good to be back as match play champions. So yeah, feels good. And uh, we got about 10 days before we leave for our next event, Merido uh, Collegiate, and so we got a little bit of a time to kind of decompress and uh, get back to some practicing in a few days. But um, anyways, Coach, uh, we're going to make it short and sweet uh, intro this week. We do have our segment, though, and um, it's the top five rounds that you have ever witnessed in college golf. And this week, we're on the number two slot. And I'm sure all our faithful listeners are just sitting on the edge of their seat right now. <laughs> waiting to hear what the number two slot is. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure they've been there for a week just waiting. But no, seriously, the uh, rounds that I've seen that really impressed me, uh, obviously have been some pretty low numbers that I've told you about the last uh, three. But this round wasn't as low. It was 600 par 66 at Isleworth in the fall of 2013. And it was, uh, I walked with Trey Mullinax that day. When I first got to Alabama to be an assistant coach for J.C., well, he said, Coach, I've got this big old tall country boy, hits it a mile, hits his irons dead straight. You won't believe how good it is, but uh, I'm just going to have you walk with him this fall and see how it looks. And uh, he just thought it may be a different voice in Trey's ear and, you know, just kind of watching it play that might help. And Trey and I were having so much success together. And so our final, our third event out of four that fall was at Isleworth in Florida. And Trey played one of the cleanest rounds of golf I have ever seen as a, and now on a really good golf course. Ours not easy. Okay? No, That's it's a not. Really it, good golf it course. It is a great golf course. He hit 14 out of 14 fairways. Wow. He hit all 18 greens. Wow. <laughs> and get this, and I'm not exaggerating. I, I have got a stat sheet to prove it from back then, but his proximity to hole was an average of 15 feet for 18 holes. He shot... So he didn't putt as well as you could imagine. I mean, he should have actually probably shot a little lower. But tee to green, it was the best ball striking display I have ever seen. And he went on to win that week. So it did lead to a victory for him, a victory for the Crimson Tide. And he tied Jordan Spieth's all-time record in the Isleworth Collegiate. So, you know, he, he, he did something pretty historical that week. But the fact that he literally didn't miss a fairway, didn't miss a green, and hit it that close all day was just... Stunning. It was a great round of golf. I'll never forget it. And Trey, you know, he's really a smart guy. He, he did great in school. But, you know, he was almost like he was like, is this good or what? And I was like, are you kidding me? Well, you did today. I've never seen anything like it. So really fun to watch that round. And I got to walk a lot with Trey that year. He was a second team All-American. And obviously he made the putt that won the national championship at Perry Dunes. So I have great memories with Trey, but that one definitely stands out. Oh, by the way, the following tournament, we were at uh, in California at Pelican Hill, and I experienced 
a, one of my only eating losses, speed eating losses of my career. He beat me in a in a pizza. We both ate one full pizza. Trey Molnax. Trey Molnax beat me. So I've lost twice, and we'll talk about the other one later. But oh my goodness! So a memorable year with Trey Molnax. The '66, all 18 greens, all 14 fairways at Isleworth was something I'll never forget. Yeah. That's sick. Uh, Isleworth has some good par threes, so keeping that 15 feet, uh, what is hole two? That's that's definitely mid-iron. Hole uh, 15 on the back, that's a long iron. Eight, it's, 11 is a six or seven iron. I mean, yeah. it's not, those are not short par threes. Yeah. So what he did there was kind of stunning in my mind. Cool. Um, well, transitioning to this week's episode, another guy that plays a lot of clean golf, especially lately. Maybe one of the best players in the world at the moment, uh, playing very, very solid golf for an extended period of time, is our guest this week, uh, Will Zalatoris. Uh, how do you know Will, Coach? Well, uh, my history at Oklahoma State was to recruit in Texas quite a bit. So I was down in Texas a bunch, and uh, I saw him, I saw Scotty Scheffler, and I saw Connor Black, all three on the same week at a Texas junior golf tournament someplace. And I remember thinking, man, these are three great players. And they were only 12 at the time. but uh, And they all three ended up being very good players, uh, doing things on a national level. But Will, he kind of, you know, he was uh, one of those players. He'd already played in a U.S. junior that summer before, and so at age 12. So he was obviously standing out for a lot of reasons. A kind of a thinner kid, didn't didn't look like he could, would ever hit it very far. He hits it a lot, a lot further now. But... I got to know him through the junior golf process. He committed fairly early to Wake Forest, and then I got let go at Oklahoma State, so I went elsewhere and didn't think much about it, and then reconnected with Will in college when, when he was at college at, at Wake Forest, and I was at Alabama and then here at, uh, at uh, Baylor. So I think that uh, we just developed a good relationship through the years. I always respected the way he took care of his business. I love the way he handled himself at a golf tournament. I love the way he competes. Uh, and honestly, I love what he's doing right now. It's pretty fun to watch a guy that, you know, he started the 2019 year with no status, and now he's ranked 70th in the world. So it's that's a big jump in a just a little over a year. It's pretty impressive. And just the things he's done on the Corn Ferry and the PGA Tour and his U.S. Open performance just a couple, three weeks ago was has been pretty amazing to watch. I, I love his outlook. I love his passion. Uh, he's he's truly one of the best ball strikers in all of professional golf right now. I mean, you would ask a lot yeah. of people, statistics prove it, uh, strokes gained approach is pretty amazing. So he's an interesting guy and uh, and a good friend of mine. So it, I'm really excited that he came on to the podcast. Yeah, we're thankful uh, for Will for taking your time. Will, thanks so much. We actually recorded this Tuesday night. That was after the last round of Colonial. And so we were sitting in a hotel recording with Will. He was sitting in a hotel in Jackson, Mississippi. And unfortunately, he did miss the cut this week. Uh, so maybe we weren't a good omen for him or <laughs> or whatever. But uh, we're certainly rooting for Will. We're thankful he came on. Thanks for being uh, just open and, and just a really good dude. And he's super easy to root for. So uh, let's uh, hear from Will Salatoris. Okay, Will Zaltoris, welcome to the Better Than I Found It podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today. 
Coach, it's a privilege. Thank you for having me. Well, this is great. Um, we'll get to a little bit of what, <clears throat> where you are in the last, you know, year of your life. We'll get to that as we go here. But you are in Mississippi this week. Is that correct for Sanderson Farms? I am. Yeah. I'm so happy to be here. Happy to be, happy to be playing with the big boys. Yeah, well, you are one of the big boys, let's face it. So, no, that's great. I really appreciate you taking the time just to talk for a little bit. Um, I've, you know, I've been trying to come up with uh, really interesting people, really um, inspiring people in, in this podcast that give insight. And I know you can do that. And I really enjoyed watching your career through the years uh, when you were just a little junior golfer. I, I noticed three players when I was still at Oklahoma State that were young 2014 graduates, but you guys were no, you were ankle biters. And that was you, Scotty Scheffler, and Connor Black. And you kind yeah. of all just came on the scene as very young players, very good ones, and all completely different kind of golf games. So I'm almost 10 years, or a little over 10 years into watching you, you your career develop. And uh, it's been a pleasure, but I'm really excited about what's going on right now. So I know you weren't born in Texas. You're a sort of a Texas guy now, but uh, you were born in San Francisco. Is that correct? Yeah, so I moved to Dallas when I was nine. And probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, just because of the more availability, availability to more golf or just what? Yeah, you know, I think you alluded to, you know, Scotty and Connor and, um, you know, we had Jordan, who's three years older than us. Um, you know, Texas golf specifically and TPGA is, has such great funding. And I mean, you could play basically an event every single day in the summertime. Um, and on top of that, you know, we've got some really world-class teachers that are around town. So you add in the competition, you add in great teachers and, you know, fairly decent weather year round, you know, it's, it's just a you know, recipe for success. Well, I would agree with that. You know, I'm obviously from Oklahoma, so I didn't live in Texas until I got to Baylor. But I did watch as I was working at Oklahoma State for Mike Holder. And then later when I was the head coach, we did a lot of recruiting in Texas. <laughs> and there was a reason <laughs> there was a reason that some of the best players in all of junior golf are in Texas. And I think you could say you could safely say that Florida, California and Texas produce the lion's share of the junior golfers. And, and I don't think Texas takes a backseat to anybody. In fact, I think there's been nine U.S. Uh, junior champions in the last 20 years from Texas. I mean, just do the math there. That's crazy. And is so crazy. it is good that you ended up here, I think, for that reason. If nothing else, it, it gave you a lot of competition around you. You had to get better or else. And uh, Exactly. So it, you started the game at pretty young. What, what age were you? The joke in my family is that I started when my mom was six months pregnant with me. Um, she credits her over the top swing because of me and when she with their baby bump. But um, I got into it really where my dad would start bringing me out on weekends. I mean, three or four years old. But, um, you know, I didn't play a single golf tournament. So I moved to Texas when I was nine. But it was always something that I wanted to do. I mean, I played baseball. I played basketball. I uh, played a little bit of soccer growing up. You know, I, I played baseball later than any other sport. I didn't quit till I was about 14. But, um, 
golf basically the way how i got started in it was my dad would take me out on saturdays after he plays a little little saturday morning game and we'd play one two three cut over on number four and go to number nine at cow club and get an orange julius milkshake and drive <laughs> on home and so that's how i got into it and then um, my dad wanted a little bit more structure just as opposed to me just hitting golf balls with them he's like you know look i'm a 15 handicap if you actually want to you know be good at this you know you gotta take lessons and so he took me to jim mcclain golf center where greg copeland taught me um and basically until he moved to texas and he really kind of fueled that that fun feeling of playing golf and he used to he was so great to me you know giving me it was basically a driving range and a nine hole par three and you know it was giving me free balls to you know go practice and they had those big nets that are like 10 feet wide with the yellow diamond in them and I try to basically knock you know there was one that was about 80 yards out and I try to knock as many balls into the diamond as I possibly could and but you know always made it fun you know there's little things on the range where it's like you know we're on the top it was a double decker on the top level trying to chip it down this uh, wooden fence and see how long you can get it to chase down the fence or try to land it you know up on top of one of the nets you know it's stuff like that that you know just made it so fun that you know I guess you know kind of a golf junkie at a young age if i'm six or seven years old and i'm having fun basically giving me 150 range balls on the open driving range wow yeah see that's i love that story because so many really good players their fathers were very instrumental i mean you talk about two of the the greatest players who ever touched a golf club i mean charlie nicholas absolutely mm -hmm. worshipped the time he got to spend with jack on a golf course was just uh something they treasured and and i know Tiger Woods was very much the same with Earl. So, and, and then you could just take hundreds of thousands of, of parents that have made golf available to their kids. But the key you just said was they made it fun and yeah. something that was enjoyable to do. So, yeah. And it's even to this day, I mean, you know, my off weeks, you know, the first couple of days, I typically will try to take off if I have, you know, one week off, but that Tuesday or Wednesday, there's a very good chance you'll find me playing with my dad. And that Saturday or Sunday, you'll probably find me playing with my dad. I mean, it's something that it's always been our thing. You know, my mom, the joke line that I always tell people is because I get the athleticism from my mom's side is uh, my mom plays two or three times a year and she'll break 90. And my dad plays three to four times a week and barely breaks 90. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, she was a track athlete at the University of Oregon. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, sound like he thankfully, was. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, I've got my mom's mom's athletic ability. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Well, that's good. Now, but that's another thing. She, so he gave you sort of the love of the game. Let's have fun. Let's go do this. I'm not good enough to help you, but let's go enjoy it. And you still do today. And she probably you got a little bit of the competitiveness from her, I would think. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, she's. I always say she's the strongest person I've ever met in terms of doesn't matter what she's got on her plate. You know, my dad is retired, but my mom's still working hard, working like crazy. Um, you know, she's, she still runs and works out five days a week. I mean, she's, uh, she's incredible. And not to mention just somebody that to kind of have a sports psychologist, if you will, kind of in the family, it's pretty cool. Wow. That, that's uh, another huge advantage. But so your parents are obviously the biggest influence on your golf in, in different ways, but that, that would that be true then for sure? 
A hundred. Yeah. And, you know, kind of a little fun fact, you know, talking about my dad, about making it fun, you know, and this is everybody, you know, parents have different philosophies of how they raise their kids and whatnot. But my dad to this day has never been to a single one of my golf lessons. Wow. Um, he's paid for a lot of them, <laughs> but he's literally never been to a single one of them. I mean, that's something that he, he prides himself on. He's like, Hey, look, it's your thing. You know, you do you. I mean, you know, he's told me multiple times, you know, Bill Walton with his son, Luke, you know, Luke tells a story about how he's playing a high school game and, uh, you know, gets done with the game. He's kind of frustrated with how he played and, and Bill, instead of, you know, a Hall of Fame basketball player, instead of saying, hey, let me tell you how to do this or that, he said, do you want my advice? And, you know, some days Luke would say no and Bill wouldn't say anything. And, you know, Bill made sure that it was Luke's thing. Yeah, that's pretty amazing there. Yeah. And it's hard to criticize parents. I'm not one. My wife yeah. and I had children. So it's hard to criticize a parent, but it's it's great when you see somebody doing it where you know it's for the benefit of the young man or, or girl and that, that success comes from it. That's amazing. Yeah. No, and that's that's my whole point of telling that story is it's my dad's always had a pretty strong philosophy of how, you know, I if I wanted to be good at this, like, hey, it's your thing. You know, that's always been his thing. Wow, that's good. Well, you know, I know that your dad was influenced by his father. Your your grandfather was a pilot. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, we actually flew the last 747 that American ever flew. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And and your dad has flown as well. Is that correct? Yeah, he flew for a long time. Um, both my uncles flew. Um, none of them actually all three both my dad's one of three brothers and they actually they didn't follow uh my grandfather in flying commercially but they all flew kind of on their own and um yeah my dad probably hasn't flown in a little while but it's something that since he's retired he's talked about it quite a bit <laughs> and are we going to see will behind the behind the wheel of a cockpit up there in an airplane someday maybe i'd love it i mean i it's it's in our blood and you know we were talking about it you know the how it's it's something that when you're flying it's it's you've got to be at full attention you know you're fully mindful of where you are and that's something that when you're a golfer where at least it's something that i've learned as a professional and even for the kids in college where it's you know get up go to class go play golf work out whatever it is boom 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 you know, how it's easy to just kind of lose your mind something that where you just have to sit there and focus it's kind of uh kind of enjoyable that's great well you know i we're going to talk about your career at wake forest here in just a bit but really the most famous golfer slash pilot in history is arnold palmer and i know you have a great amount of respect for mr palmer uh, but he was literally a pilot when he got in that plane he was no longer the most famous athlete in the world was just a pilot and that's the way he treated it and I've, I've seen several documentaries on that and read some about it i mean i'm sure that's the way you would be right yeah i mean he's obviously walking by his statue every day for four years i've got a ridiculous amount of respect for that guy that's great that's great well so we'll get to that uh wake forest career here in just a bit but i i do want to say you moved to texas and uh, from what I know, that's probably one of the greatest things that could have happened to your golf was moving to Texas. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, when we first moved here, uh, or moved to Dallas, uh, we, my family joined Bentry country club and, 
Um, David Price was a longtime head pro there for 34 years, I believe. And David's been a second father to me basically since I was 11 years old. And, um, you know, kind of the whole story of how I got started with him was um, one of our assistants at Bentry had broken his leg and I had worked with him for a while and he couldn't teach for a little bit. And I was playing in some junior events and I kind of, I thought I could do better. You know, I wasn't playing poorly, but like you said, getting a little bit of the competitive side for my mom, I wasn't happy not winning golf tournaments or contending in golf tournaments at a young age. And um, Mr. Price and my dad and or my dad went to Mr. Price and said, you know, hey, would you mind, you know, working with Will? And he said, why don't we just have a sit down conversation? Like, you know, I know he's 11, but let's just let's just talk. And Mr. Price actually worked with Harvey Penick for uh, growing up. And he tells a story about the first few lessons that he ever took from Mr. Penick. And he's a strong left-handed kid from West Texas and would just hit kind of a going draw and, and never really release the golf club. And Mr. Penick showed him how to release a golf club. And he said, you know, grab a pitching wedge and I'm going to show you how to release this golf club. And I want you to hit 15 yard shots of it. And, you know, we'll come back tomorrow and we'll work for a little while on it and hit something longer. So David ends up hitting chips basically for three, four hours and ends up going home, comes back the next day. And he's, and Mr. Penix said, well, you know, how are you feeling? He said, well, I'm a little sore. You know, I'm just not used to my left hand releasing that hard. And he goes, well, good. Let's try to hit something longer today. And so David's thinking, you know, I might hit something longer. Gives him an eight iron, tells him to hit it 50 yards, come back tomorrow. And what he basically told me when I was 11 and he knew that I wanted to be good and knew why I was sitting in there, which it's a tough thing to, you know, if the kid doesn't want it, it's kind of hard to have this conversation with it, but he knew that I wanted it. And he said, look, I know you're out here having fun, but you know, when you're out here playing with your buddies, like, are you out here just cause it's social hour or are you out here? Cause you actually want to get better. And, you know, my one hour lessons with, with Mr. Price would go basically, we had a couple one hour lessons. I would go two and a half hours just because we were working on something and wanted to get it down. And ever since then, he's been, been there for me through the thick and thin. And obviously now he's retired. And, you know, even to this day, we'll start hitting golf balls and we'll, we'll just sit there and talk and kind of talk through things, go through memories, kind of talk about life in general. I mean, so to kind of have somebody, like I said, he's a second father to me. Um, probably one of the most influential, probably the most influential person in my life. That's uh, not a family member. And that, that's a great story. I, my dad was a club professional for a long, long time. And, and occasionally I'll get an email or a text or a message from somebody who took golf lessons from my dad. When they were <laughs> young. And I love hearing that because I, you never really know what the impact is going to be. And it's obvious that David had an amazing impact on you. And it's, it's, to, it's resonated with you even to this day and probably will for the rest of your career. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Well, I mean, it's good that he taught you those things. And, and you know, as you've developed your junior golf career, you started getting noticed pretty well. A lot of people noticed who you were and uh, you were, uh, you did something I think, I'm not sure will happen again. And I don't know that it's happened before. So I don't have this record. And I'm gonna ask you if it is a record. Is five US juniors in six years a record for the USGA? It is uh, tied for the most appearances ever, yeah. Tied for the I'm most- not sure if any of those five, I'm not sure if any of those five actually missed a year like I did, but. Um... 
but I, when I missed it my junior year of high school. But um, yeah, I mean, a lot of fun, a lot of experience, a lot of, a lot of amazing experiences. Okay, so before we get to the last of those five, which is pretty amazing experience, uh, tell me where each of those five were that you played. Uh, 2009, was it nine? Was, yeah, 2009 was uh, Trump, Bedminster, New Jersey. 2010. I know where was, they were. If you need help, I know where they are, but go no, ahead. I know where, no, I know where they are because I'm trying to think of who I lost to in all the match plays. Um, 2010 was Golf Club in New England. I lost to Bryson DeChambeau, of all people, in the first round, fast exit. 2011, one at Spieth one, it was Gold Mountain. 2012, uh, or no, sorry, the 2011 was uh, Egypt Valley. 2012 was uh, Golf Club New England, then I missed 13, and then 14 was Carlton Woods. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you got them. That's good that you can remember. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's pretty amazing uh, to get in there because really – the junior qualifying is not the easiest qualifier to get through. I mean, it's just not. Yeah. Well, and it, so when I was 12, the first time I qualified, um, the qualifier was at the Honors Golf Club in Dallas, which is now Merido. And I had always loved that golf course. And the week prior to the qualifier, I played at AJGA Junior All-Star. And I shot 65 the last day with eight putts on the back nine. Wow. And won the golf tournament by one. And then I went out the next week to the U S junior qualifier. And I was three over three over from our morning 18. And then was three over through six. So I'm six over total and 16 went off the back in the afternoon. I said, you know, let's just try to get a birdie or whatever. And it, granted I'm 12, <laughs> but, um, I tried to get a birdie on this par five. And then I made a 20 footer and made another 25 footer. Then made made about a 10 footer then chipped in on one and then made a six footer six footer on two and now all of a sudden i'm birdied my last five holes and i ended up pulling about a 40 yard wedge shot on six and then birdied eight nine and got in by one and oh so God. it was nine under for my last 12 and ended up getting in and so it was that was literally the first experience of my life where i was like i can compete with these guys i know i'm 12 years old but i can compete against these older guys I've, I've now done it. And I think that's why, especially playing against guys like Jordan and Scotty all those years growing up, you know, I, I think it it's especially um, hanging out around the older kids. You know, that's something that kind of gave me a little bit of that confidence that, that I can kind of contend anywhere. I think it's important for any of us to have people pushing us always or to find yeah. people that you're not as good at and go figure out how to beat those people. And, and what doesn't matter what endeavor you're doing, what profession. And so that was a big reason why moving to Texas was, was big for you because there's so mm -hmm. many good players. And it's not like given that it's just because you drive to Waco or you drive to Austin, that you're going to win a junior golf tournament. There's plenty of good kids in those towns. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so your career started developing and you, you've become this, highly ranked junior player, at, at least in your class, you were one of the best in the country in your class. And then there was kind of a time when toward the end of your junior career that it just wasn't as good as it was, or at least you were in a lull. Would you say mm -hmm. would you call it that? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I, from my end of my freshman year to the start of my senior year, I had grown 
11 inches and started kind of not hitting it very well. And um, something that I kind of has always been a fault is I've always been a pretty big tinkerer and trying different things. And, um, you know, when I'm not hitting well, not putting well, and, you know, having that success and those high expectations at such a young age, um, I just wasn't mentally, you know, mature enough to really, you know, kind of take a step back and kind of start over and rethink kind of how I'm playing or, you know, what I'm doing. And, um, that was kind of where, you know, Scott Fawcett had been a really close friend my entire life or, you know, really since we moved to Dallas, um, you know, he had kind of been there through, been there for me kind of through that all and, um, really try to help me kind of get things back on the right track. And, um, started working with, uh, Cameron McCormick and those two put together in 2014, that really kind of turned things around for me. Well, Scott kind of gave you, uh, I mean, obviously Cameron gave you some technical instruction and kind of mm -hmm. helped you work with that part of it. But Scott kind of gave you something that you probably never thought you were going to get or didn't think it was coming. I'm sure of that. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the whole story that with Scott and I was, um, you know, it was the summer before I was heading off to college, kind of played a little bit better. I had won a couple high school events by a lot, which, you know, I know that they're not uh, AJGA invitationals, but enough to kind of get me going again and feeling pretty good about things. And, um, and uh, you know, he just said, hey, I'm going to come caddy for you in the state and right after I qualified. And I said, yeah, it'll be fun. You know, I, you've never done it before. You know, we've talked forever, but you've never caddied for me. And he had kind of, he's the thing about Scott is he'll get up at 2 a.m. and start crunching numbers on spreadsheets of golf stats. And this is where Decade had kind of all started. And um, the genesis of Decade really was he just took all of these approach numbers and strokes gain stats and basically said, hey, I'm, we're going to try something this week. I'm going to club you and I'm going to tell you what to hit off of every single tee. And I'm going to tell you where to hit whatever club you think we should hit wherever a flag is. And I said, all right, fine. And there was literally in 72 holes, there was only one time that I said something that I was like, I don't think that's right. And of course Scott was right, but essentially I had been playing, uh, we played a practice together together and he basically said, dude, you were playing this golf course backwards. You're laying up when you should be aggressive and you're being aggressive when you should lay up. Like this is just, I don't know what you're doing here, but just trust me on this. And needless to say, we ended up winning the Texas State Am together in 2014. And then he caddied for me a month and a half later, and we won the O.S. Junior together. Um, so he really was instrumental in the turnaround, and obviously Cameron as well, uh, you know, during that time. So, you know, Scott's – I've always said this about Scott. I love him dearly, but he's a great older brother, but I don't want him as another father figure in my life. I've, I've got – dp for that for that reason right there so but he's one of the best older brothers you can ever have well i think what's great about scott is he tells you what he thinks and absolutely I, you need to hear that occasionally oh 100 yeah but but i also love his stuff i think he's uh, a really smart guy and i showed a pga tour player his just his data and his information probably four years ago mm -hmm. and he looked at it, he studied it and he said I've been doing that my whole career, meaning yeah. that's why I'm a great player is I do these things already. And mm -hmm. 
Scott, all he did was put data and numbers and statistics and all of that to what coaches really have been trying to teach forever, but haven't been able to do it because they had no way of quantifying it. So absolutely. And it was almost overnight for you, wasn't it? That you, you kind of changed. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, you know, I basically gone from a kid who was a little more, uh, kind of fly by the seat of my pants where if I'm hitting it good, I'm going to fire at everything. And if I'm hitting it poor, I'm just going to, all right, let's just get on the green and get moving. And to basically have the statistical backing of basically where I should aim. And, you know, I think that really just kind of added a little bit of confidence to what I was doing. Well, and, and um, you were already a good ball striker. So, you know, you kind of, you had that going for you. So if you throw a little, you know, some brains and, and smart and, uh, you know, aggressive play, but also very disciplined play that, that Scott teaches. Uh, it would certainly be good for you. So that happened that summer 2014. You are on top of the world heading to college. <laughs> we really were. I mean, you're playing the best golf pretty much of anybody going into college that summer. That's for sure. So um, and you went to Wake Forest. Let's talk about just kind of life at Wake Forest. I know they have a long-standing, really solid, very competitive tradition. They've been great for a long time. Uh, but, you know, just anything you get out of those first few years that you were there? Yeah, you know, I think um, being, being around guys who want to be good and they're basically their job there is to go to school and take care of their business and then when it gets on the golf course, you're there to, you know, iron sharpens iron, you know, can play against each other, playing little matches. Um, that's something that I really felt that, you know, playing those little nine hole matches against the guys when I first got to school, it really, um, really helped me mature and really helped me become a better player. Um, you know, the part where with Wake is it's obviously an amazing academic school on top of the rich golf tradition. Um you know, there's a high standard there. And I think that's something that, you know, really challenged me, but in the best of ways. And, you know, I came into school and, you know, not to think that, you know, when I say I needed to grow up, it's not saying that when I got there, I needed, um, you know, I wasn't cocky because I'd come off a good summer. It was just, you know, I, I'm an only child. I've always been really close to my parents. I went to a really small Christian school and, you know, I've been pretty sheltered my whole or small Christian high school. I've been, you know, fairly sheltered my whole life. And, um, you know, it's kind of need to turn into a, an adult and that's what college is for. And that's something that, you know, basically my job when I got there was, you know, obviously get an education. And then, you know, right underneath that is to get become an adult and play, basically become a professional. You know, how can I become a professional golfer? as fast as I can, what do I need to do? And that's something that, um, you know, co I kept asking coach Haas and coach Dan when he was there, it's just basically, what do I need to do better? What do I need to do to, you know, what, what are things I need to look forward to at the next stage? And I basically tried to treat college, um, in a sense of, you know, how, how can I become a professional golfer in the best sense possible? Well, we coaches are always trying to tell kids to do that. So uh, you, maybe you can help us out with that one because <laughs> that's truly what it is. It's four years to grow up. It's mm -hmm. four years to learn more about yourself. And if you do play, want to play professional golf, you've got to use those four years wisely. And 
it's obvious you did that and you played for a really great coach. Jerry Haas is not only just a, a really good coach, he's a great player. He's mm-hmm. played the PGA Tour. So he's been where you want to go and you know when you were in college and so but i will say this you uh you sort of saved your best for last you uh you had an incredible senior season at acc player of the year first team all-american and became a walker cupper tell tell me about that experience that was a good run right there yeah that was an incredible experience um you know i in 2015 i had uh was a part of the practice session for that team and ended up getting an appendectomy and I, I really came back too soon to just try to make that team. You know, I did the best I could with what I had and really just was kind of fighting myself the entire summer and was, wasn't 100% at all and lost a bunch of weight. And so when 2017 rolled around, you know, what I sat down with when I was working with Cameron at the time and just said, you know, our number one goal this year is to make this Walker Cup team. And, you know, I basically – I knew that I'd had a pretty good senior campaign or junior year campaign going into that uh, fall of my, of my senior year. And really, you know, when I was playing in that USAM at LA or at Riviera, I mean, my whole thoughts that week were, you know, and this is just kind of shows you how immature I was. I was trying to make that team that week. And, <laughs> and I, and I felt like I was playing with the weight of my shoulders or, you know, the weight of the world on my shoulders, but, getting that call to be on that team and be a part of that Walker cup team with those guys. Um, that's something I'll never forget. It is the greatest experience in golf that I've had in my career. And it is just, you get there a week and a half before you play. It's only a two day event, but it's 36 holes each day. You know, the guys on our team have obviously gone on to great success, but, um, you know, we had lunch with President Bush that week, and basically his role of being there for us was to basically tell us uh, what it means to wear the red, white, and blue, and sat there and gave us basically a speech on it. And it was, uh, like I said, it was just absolutely incredible to accomplish that and be on that team. And obviously, you know, at one point we had nine guys that had, that have turned pro. We had nine guys on the Corn Ferry or the PGA Tour, and obviously Collins won a major which is no surprise. And, you know, Scotty just won PJ tour play of the year and Cameron's won a couple times and, you know, I've got doc, Doug, Mav, they're all out there. And uh, I know Braden will be up here on the PJ tour soon. So it's fun to see. It's, it's really cool to be on that team and obviously, you know, to win as, as big as we did. Yeah. You know, I'm a former high school golf coach and a social studies teacher. And I was all, uh, I had every single, class period when I was a middle school teacher, we said the Pledge of Allegiance. So yeah. every single class every day. And I don't know if teachers are allowed to do that anymore, but I've always been a patriot. And so it would have been the highlight of my career ever to have you know, represented the United States as a player. I was able to do it at the Palmer Cup in 2007, and it remains one of the best experiences I've had. So I love it when I hear somebody say, and somebody who's done as much as you've done in the game, to say how much that experience meant to you. Yeah, well, and I even, you know, I'm in my hotel room in, in Mississippi right now, and my duffel bag that I use for all my clothes is the Walker Cup duffel bag, and then I've got a workout gear bag that's from the Walker Cup as well, and I think my back, yeah, my backpack's from the Walker Cup. So it's, it's obviously, it's not about just the Walker Cup, it was more about, you know, 
10 guys representing the country that week it, and you're one of the 10 it's uh you know it was hard not to get misty eyed when they're playing the national anthem and you know you're all standing there together in our green jackets and our american flag socks just you know basically come out the next day firing you know it, it's uh it's pretty cool what what would uh, your golf career look like if you could have that type of enthusiasm every single time you teed it up your whole life I tell you what, if I was as nervous as I was on the first tee, I don't think I'd see many more days. I don't think my heart, I don't think my heart could handle it. Um, I mean, they had us teeing off the practice or the practice putting green on number one. And of course, it's a nerve wracking tee shot to begin with, but I'm just scared out of my mind. I'm going to slip and top one into the bushes because it, it was so tight. So I've, I've, I've never teed up a ball so high in my life and made sure my feet weren't moving <laughs> <laughs> well that's good to hear that you had that good experience it's not um there's not not very many people get to do that so that's pretty mm -hmm. pretty awesome um so let's get back we're kind of up to the point where you've you started playing pro golf you've um you finished it at uh, wake forest and you you literally played um uh how many times did you monday in or play in pga tour events in 2018 i know you played in a few so in 2018, I got six starts and qualified for the Open. And every week that I had not gotten a start, I had done a Monday qualifier for the Corn Ferry Tour, which I was probably, if I were to give you a ballpark, I think I was probably like one for 17 or 18. Not good at all. And then, um, okay, that's good. I mean, that's not yeah. good. That's just real. Yeah, no. And, you know, I'd missed Q school and um, I'd started working with um, Troy Denton and Josh Gregory. And um, Troy really is the one who I give credit or give a lot of credit for turning me around. And he's he's just a guy who I don't know how to explain it. And it's one of those things where if he got in an argument with some of the brainiacs of the world, you know, maybe he's not going to, you know, it's not like he can tell me about Ulmer rotation or whatever, you know, some of the, you know, guys like Bryson, how they eat it up alive, but he just has the highest EQ in terms of a golf coach that I think I've ever been around. He, he just knows what to say and how to say it and when to say it. And, you know, there's days where we're working and, I know that he's maybe not holding something back or, you know, I want to do something more and he'll explain to me, look, yes, you're do, you know, your left wrist right now is flexing and cupping in a weird way that, you know, you've kind of done that your whole life though. Like don't try to fix this now just because you're hitting it bad. Doesn't mean you need to change something that you've kind of done your whole life. And he really basically just kind of filled me up with confidence and made golf really really fun which like i said when you do 17 or 18 monday qualifiers and miss all those cuts and those tour starts your first year out and you have all that excitement and you get done with a year and you're absolutely deflated um you know to have somebody like that that's built me up over the past couple of years i give him so much credit for turning me around um and josh on top of that i started working with josh gregory on my short game and um, you know, kind of working with him in practice, you know, he just kind of put that, you know, put that into the next gear and he's been there, you know, I've known him shoot probably as long as I've known you. 
Um, and you know, he's been very instrumental in turning around my short game and really, you know, I've almost learned new shots that, um, you know, that I had really never played before. And that's something that those two guys put together, you know, I worked with them throughout that entire off season in 2018. And in 2019, I got a, the qualifiers in Florida for Panama and Columbia, which those are the toughest two qualifiers really out there because it's 90 guys for two spots. And I went out and shot 64 to get into Panama. And, you know, like you said, it's just, it, it's one of those things where it just, once you get a taste of it, it's just, you know, I, I knew that I could, you know, I knew, I knew I was back, if you will. Um, and really have not looked back since have stuck with a great practice plan and, uh, you know, something that Josh basically had designed for me where, you know, working on everything from, you know, three footers to 300 plus yard tee shots and everything in between, you know, as, as long as I keep up my work ethic that I've had, I know I'm working on the right things. It's, you know, I should be playing well <laughs> yeah, as long, as long as I don't stay, you know, as long as I don't get in my own way. Well, you mentioned something a minute ago that I think is pretty significant. And I've had a pretty serious, I don't know, uh, reputation for talking about this a lot. And that is there's, there's instruction and how important that piece is to a player. And there's not all good instruction out there. There's a, And not everybody who's a good instructor is going to resonate with every player. So it's a pretty important combination when you get somebody who can help you walk alongside you and help you improve. And that's what the goal of instruction is anyway, is to improve skills and build confidence or conviction in what you're doing. So. Well, and if this kind of shows you about Troy, he walked with me during the US Open this a couple of weeks ago and he watched, I think all 27 holes that I had played that week in practice rounds and I hit a couple squirrely shots, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, it's the week before an open, maybe, you know, I get some jitters going or something like that. Or, you know, he kind of asked me when I got done, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, I might go hit a couple balls. And he said, dude, just go home. If you played last week, like you don't need to do anything more. And I was like, you sure? I mean, I really didn't hit that great today. And he's like, you're, you're fine. Just go home. And he's like, kind of gave me this whole speech of like, dude, you look awesome. Like, you know, timing might be a little off, but whatever. I mean, you're coming from two different climates. This fairway's a little tighter. Just, you know, focus on your target. Keep on moving. And so I ended up obviously having a great week. I finished six, and then I talked to him on Monday, and I asked him, I was like, you know, because we were working on actually kind of some wrist angle stuff. And I was like, how are my wrist angles? And he, he just said, oh, oh dude, they're junk. They're terrible. He's like, I wanted to say something so bad. But it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday before the U.S. Open. Like, I can't, like, what am I going to do? And that's something that, just like I said, he knows what to say and when to say it. And so, you know, the fact that the Monday after the Open, he's like, oh, dude, they were awful. You know, we we're I was laughing like crazy. I mean, he's so I, I love that guy. Well, I have a lot of respect for Troy. I remember when he was going through junior golf and I was the assistant coach at Oklahoma State recruiting and, um, he became really good friends with a couple of players on our team at Oklahoma State. I've watched how he's worked with people. And there's a, to me, there's genius in knowing exactly what he knows and how he's working with mm -hmm. you. So there's a lot of genius in there. Everybody wants to put their stamp on somebody. But the truth is, all he really wants you to do is play well and enjoy what you're doing. That's what he wants. 
and it doesn't have to have his stamp on top of your head. So I, I really appreciate that a lot about him. And obviously, it's working. You're you're doing yeah. very well right now. So, uh, so let's talk about this year real quick. If I can just throw some statistics out for one. Uh, I think you've made a little over $400,000 on the corn ferry. Is that correct? That's correct. First on the 25 list. Okay. You've had 10 top 10 finishes with a win in Colorado. Okay. I'm, I'm still accurate, am I not? Yes, you're correct. And then you're on a pretty good run here in PJ Tour events. You finished sixth in the U.S. Open, which I, I want to hear a little bit about that golf course because uh, I've seen it, been there, but I've never been there in the conditions you played it. And then last week at – a final round 65, really great way to finish and finish tied for eighth at Punta Conte. Is that correct? Thank you. That's um, correct. Spot on. Tell us about the U.S. Open. My gosh, what what uh, an incredible golf course that week. Yeah, you know, I had never been to Wingfoot prior to Monday. Um, I knew immediately standing on the first tee when I was looking down that fairway and seeing that it was about 20 plus yards wide and then blowing about 25 off my left that it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun week. And then obviously you get on that green and it's got, I'm looking in the book and you know, those are the greens books. They've got those colors of where you could possibly put a pin. And there's literally three spots, middle left, middle and middle, right. And besides that, you can't pin it anywhere else on the green. And it's like, this is going to be a fun week. And, you know, I think that something that Troy is really, and, you know, kind of give you a little insight with, what Troy and Josh and I, when we sat down last year that we talked about was I wanted to understand my golf game as much as possible. I wanted to understand my fixes so I can come out and instead of it taking two weeks to fix, it takes me a couple days. And in reality, I think that that's something going into, you know, playing that open where you just can't be perfect. And I, I wasn't really hitting it that great the week before in Chicago. It's nothing to really, you know, I had a nice finish, but I just made everything I looked at basically the last 27 holes to give myself a chance to win. But the fairways were so tight and so firm, having six inches of rough, you know, only some spots were gradual that, you know, the tour, or I think the field average was like 39% of hitting fairways. So basically it's just hit it as far as you possibly can. And if it stays in the fairway, that's wonderful. And if it doesn't do your best to gouge it out and just try to find the best place to make par and not make six. And that basically kind of that explanation when, you know, those fairways are that tight and that firm and you're putting on greens that are running 13 and they're putting pockets, the guy he's going to win is going to hit it the farthest off the tee. And he's probably got to hit just a couple more fairways and Bryson DeChambeau hits at 328 and hits 41% while the field average hits 39%. So he's hitting it farther than everybody else. And he's hitting just a couple, maybe one more fairway. So it's that golf course on the golf architecture side. I can't tell you how many times I was in spots where I'm laughing at myself because I'm hitting a shot out of the rough and I'm kind of thinking, eh, you know, maybe I could push the edge a little bit and try to cover that bunker and maybe run it up on the front and, I put my club back down and I'm like, yeah, I, we're knocking this thing out to the side. It's just, it is so perfectly placed with some trees and bunkers that, I mean, it, it's, I know I had a great week, but in terms of golf course architecture, you could stand on every hole and put 10 different pins and explain how one spot could be perfect for this day. And 
the next thing you know, that spot is absolutely garbage for the next day. It is just, it's an absolute incredible golf course. Yeah, I think so too. I, I and I, you know, you were mentioning the first hole, the first hole you saw, number one, that green, uh, that's Jack Nicholas putted it off that green, the first hole of the 1974 us open and made double. I hole. believe it. So it was just, I believe it. That was a great way to start the open, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I had played the Romain Langasco I played with, tried to knock one up on the green, put it on the front bunker, landed one on the back left corner of the green from 40 yards away and it had some spin on it. And it literally ran for probably 50 seconds from the back left corner of the green all the way off the front, 20 yards off the front edge. I mean, that ball probably traveled a total of 120 yards and he had to walk about 40 feet. <laughs> Yeah, well, it must have been an amazing experience for you. Your first top ten in a major, and yeah. obviously got you in the next week. So, yes. so tell tell me about that week because I know you weren't you just barely made the cut at Punta Cana, correct? Yeah, I had a part of the last. Um, yeah, I made it on the number. Um, I self admittedly I was a little bit drained those first couple of days, and um, I fought as hard as I could. I really did not have a great attitude and kind of acknowledged that going into the weekend and just try to hit the reset button. And uh, Saturday, I actually played really well, but just didn't get a lot out of it. I kind of just hit a bunch of shots to 20 feet and just didn't really make anything. And then uh, Sunday, you know, I, I got nothing to lose. I mean, you know, find some sort of motivation to play good, whatever it is. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if you make any bogeys. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm obviously, you know, I'm trying to get a card here, but I mean, if you shoot 74, 75, I don't think you're really going to be caring about the one or two shots here. I mean, just focus for four hours and then you can rest for a couple more days. And um, I hit it great, made a couple nice birdies early on and then started making some pots on the back and, uh, you know, I kind of the whole Scott Fawcett theory is take advantage of the par fives. Maybe you knock a wedge or two tight and you make one thirty footer. Congratulations. You shot seven under par. He's not lying. That happens. Yeah. <laughs> happens yeah. And that's basically, it. it's basically what happened. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so. amazing. You know, um, so every step you take during this little journey that you're taking right now is, is just putting you closer and closer and closer to a dream you've had since you were a little boy. So you often hear people talk about it. Uh, I had the same dream, by the way. So my dream was, <laughs> was right there with you. Uh, I didn't have enough talent or I didn't have, I didn't have what it take, took, you know, to, to do what you're doing. So I always like to hear a guy when he's told me, hey, this was my dream when I was young. And now you're kind of, you're kind of at the, on the precipice. You're right there uh, where things are, are happening for you. I mean, this has got to be the most exciting time of your life. Absolutely. You know, I, if uh, I, kind of times like these when golf is so much fun and there's so much new stuff coming on where it kind of makes kind of the struggles, you know, throughout high school and a little bit through college kind of makes it worth it. And, you know, I, I've got probably I would argue it's the best job in the world. I mean, my job is to literally come out and play golf every day. And she gave me all the money in the world and you asked me what I was going to go do, I'm going to go play golf. So, you know, that's something that, that obviously I'm really blessed and 
fortunate I'm able to do this every single day and just trying to enjoy it. Well, to me, you're one of the good guys. You've got a, uh, you're just a great guy and it's fun to watch a guy chasing that dream. And you've got an incredible platform because, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell a story. You may or may not remember this, but I was recruiting several years back at the junior Byron Nelson. First time I, looked, I ever saw you. Yeah. Well, no, no, this is after you, you were not playing anymore. You were a college oh. guy. You were a college guy. And I look over there and you've got a caddy bib on. And I'm thinking, what's he doing out here? You know, you first team <laughs> All-American. What are you doing out here? And you were caddying for one of your buddies from your club at home. And yeah. I thought that's kind of a cool deal because for one, you, you'd become a first team All-American. So you're one of the best amateurs in the entire world. And uh, a buddy of yours at a club where you played, young kid, I he probably couldn't have been more than 12 or 13. And he asked you to caddy for him, and you did for three rounds. That's very impressive to me. I w- I've always liked that. I haven't told that story very often, but I wanted to tell it here because, uh, you know, that said a lot about you when I when I saw that that day. Well, I really appreciate that, Coach. And it's something that, you know, my dad basically has always told me is that you can't repay the people that have helped you. You've got to repay the people down the line. And so I've had a lot of great people that have helped me along the way that, you know, I can repay, you know, DP with my great play and, you know, basically, you know, being there for him, obviously. And he's obviously been an incredible father figure, but, you know, I can't really repay that guy. You know, it's not like I can give him all the hours that he gave me. And so, you know, I'd take those lessons and pass them on down to the next guy. And that's just kind of how it works. I mean, that's the chain of life. Well, you uh, you got a big fan here. I'm a big fan of yours, always will be. I just, I think it's amazing. And I'm excited watching this journey. I, I know you're excited going through it. And really the journey is going to take uh, start up again, basically on Thursday, about 1.50. You got to see right. playing with another ACC golfer too, aren't you? Vincent Whaley. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hank Liviota actually. Oh really? Is it? Okay. I, I looked yeah. at that wrong. That Still is another ACC. ACC. Yeah, do you guys yeah. ever do the rivalry thing on that? I mean, they beat us so bad in football all those years that I, I don't have much room to talk. So I'll I'll make sure I give them a little go deeks here and there and make sure I remind them the first game day of the season was in Winston-Salem. But besides that, I, I don't have much room to talk right now. Okay, I got it. That's good. That's good. Well, listen, I want to do this. I'm not through with you yet. Um we're going to, we're going to do a speed round here in a minute. And I'm going to ask you to uh, answer a bunch of questions. And, um, but I just want to say, we want to wish you the best of luck as you head uh, closer and closer to this dream that you've got really enjoyed watching the good play that you had. I know you're excited and um, I'd say just go ahead and keep winning, just win stuff. Right. Uh, Well, coach, I don't mean to hijack your podcast, but I got to say something real fast that, I've never played a hole for you in my entire career and every good round I've ever had, you've texted me. So it means the world to me. And obviously you're one of my favorites. So thank well, you. That's, that's, that's a mutual admiration right there. I appreciate that very much. So thank you for saying that, but all right, you ready for the speed round? Let's see it. Okay. The first few questions are because you are a self acclaimed foodie. Oh man. I, so now, I don't know how anybody is as thin as you are is truly a food, <laughs> but let, let's just go with this. Okay. Your favorite food in Dallas. Favorite food in Dallas. 
Um, I guess I'd mean restaurant by that. I am going to have to go with either 18th and Vine, which is a barbecue joint. I know they're very close family friends, but I absolutely, they're burn ends. I'll put them up against anybody. Okay. Either that or Lachine, which is our favorite. It's a Chinese restaurant and they do this high octane fried rice that I don't know what they do. It's got to have, I mean, it's so addictive. It's incredible. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, they, that, I mean, I, I can eat both of those every day for the rest of my life. Very well. Very well. Okay. Favorite food when you're on the road, when you're traveling, going to these tournaments. Um, I'm kind of boring just because I try to eat so healthy. PFF, protein, fats, fiber. I mean, Chipotle does the job. It's the easiest one to go with. But um, with COVID, I haven't been able to venture out much. So I've kind of stuck with the usuals. Gotcha. Okay. Your pre-tournament meal, what would the meal include? Uh, you, if you want to have a la one last meal before the tournament. Um, no carbs for sure. Um you know, kind of the same thing, like I said, just protein, fats, fiber, anything that makes sure that my sugar levels don't spike before I head out. I just want to make sure everything, you know, keep the glucose down or, you know, like I said, no sports drinks, no carbs. So. Perfect. That's thinking. And, you know, that's another thing about your generation. Before I continue, you guys are becoming more health conscious, food conscious than the generations before you. Yeah. Well, and I've just noticed it. I mean, I, I've honestly, I've tinkered with it a little bit over the past year and I've, I've noticed a big difference in what I eat and how I feel. That's great. Okay. Least favorite food in the world, something you literally hate. So I don't hate really any foods, but for some reason I cannot get into curry. I Indian curry, I, for some reason, I've tried it. I love Thai food. I love Vietnamese food. But for some reason, when you get curry around me, I just, I can't do it. I don't know what it is. You might be allergic. Okay. <laughs> All right. Your roommate, Davis Riley, what's the biggest thing, biggest surprise, something you've learned about Davis that not many people know or you didn't know? He's an old man underneath it all. He's, he's just, in bed at 8.30 and up at 6, but hey, I'm kind of doing the same thing. But I just, I thought it was weird that I was going to bed at 8.30, 9 o'clock, and next thing you know, he's the one beating me to it. I was like, hey, you're perfect. I love you. <laughs> okay, so he's just an old soul. Old soul. Oh, he's, yeah, he's the best. Favorite college golf moment? Making a 25-footer at Duke. For not only me to win by one, but the team to win by one. Ooh, you beat the Blue Devils right there with a 25-footer. Mm. In their backyard. Well done. Yeah, against That's... them. It was it was wonderful. Good moment. <laughs> Good moment. <laughs> Favorite music? Uh, either kind of like soft rock or any country. I'm, I'm more, when I listen to music, I'm more about relaxing than I don't okay. need rap to get me all pumped up. There you go. I like it. All right, Shawshank Redemption or Remember the Titans? I'll probably go with Shawshank Redemption. I think it's one of the best movies I've ever watched. Yeah, every time I'm scrolling through the channels, it's on. I just stop whatever I'm doing. I watch the rest of that every time. Shawshank Redemption and uh, uh, Inception. Oh, yeah. Good movie. All right, Dream Foursome, you and three others. Who are they? Uh, Tony Romo, Tiger Woods, and Tom Brady. 
Wow, you just went pretty much icons. Good job. Okay, tournament you most like to win? Masters. Perfect. I want to see you win that one day. I do. I love it. Well, um, gosh, Will, this has been great. I appreciate you just taking some time out. You've given some good insight as to who you are, where you've come from, and a lot of people in the world of golf are taking notice, uh, not just people like me that have known you for 12 or so years, but a lot of people are going, man, this guy's really good. So uh, we're happy for you, excited, and just really looking forward to watching it continue. Coach, you're the best. I really enjoyed this and always enjoy my time with you. So I hope there's a lot more of it down the road soon. Absolutely. Well, go get them. Have a great yes, week. Yes, sir. Thanks, right. Coach. We'll see you. Thank you again to Will Zalatoris for coming on the Better Than I Found It podcast today. Been a great guest today, Will, and I think a lot of people are, are going to be pulling for Will Zalatoris the rest of 2020 and into 2021. You've got a great story. You're easy to pull for, and uh, you got one big fan here in Waco for sure, or a couple of big fans here in Waco. So best of luck to Will. Thanks again.